Well, good morning, Harvest Muskoka, Harvest Perry Sound. Why don't you go ahead and grab your Bibles and turn to the book of Luke. Luke chapter 22 is going to be this morning. We're also going to be flipping to John 13. So if you want to stick a finger in, in John 13 or that little bookmark or a, your bulletin or your friend's finger, whatever it takes to have John 13 and Luke 22. If you don't have a Bible on you this morning, if you throw your hand up, we'd love to get a Bible into your hands. So if you forgot your Bible or didn't bring a Bible, we have people here who'd like to get a Bible into your hands. If you don't own a Bible, for sure, throw your hand up, grab one of these, take it home as our gift to you as you turn to uh, Luke 22 and then keep a finger in John 13. You know, I, I've, uh, growing up, especially as a kid, I was a bit of an argumentative kid. Um, my, my parents told me I would argue about anything. My grandpa told me a story where we were driving in a car, just me and one of my brothers, and, and my brother looked out the window and said, look at those mountains. And my response was, those aren't mountains. Like just, just instant argue. I just, I was, and I was involved in, I, from arguments all the way as a little kid to, to, I remember hitting like junior high and arguing with my older brother about which band is better, Duran Duran or Van Halen and which one is the king of bands and I'll let you figure out which one I thought was, all right? And, and, and I, I, how about this one as kids? You ever hear kids fight about the, dumb, the dumbest things but they're actually kind of cool when you start to think about it? Like what would win in a fight? A shark with claws or a lion with gills? Like what would win, Right? We argue about the dumbest things, but, but here we're going to find in Luke 22 probably the craziest argument you're going to hear. It's the disciples arguing, and, and, and this, this argument is happening during the Last Supper. So think about it. Jesus is heading to the cross. He just, he just totally changed what, what Passover is. They're celebrating Passover, and he says, hey, hey, listen, this is what we used to celebrate when we celebrated Passover. We were celebrating this lamb that was, was killed, so that then celebrating that that, that that lamb was killed so that the angel of death in Egypt would pass over the homes, and the, and the firstborns would be, would be spared. And, and Jesus is saying, hey, listen, that, that same Passover you used to celebrate, I am now the lamb. I'm the lamb of the Passover. My, my body given, my blood shed so that you could be redeemed, so that you could be saved, so that, that God's wrath could pass over you. And what happens is they start arguing in the midst of this. Jesus talking about this. I'm going to my death. I'm going to be this lamb sacrificed for you. And they start arguing about which one of them is the greatest in God's kingdom. I mean, this is so important for us as we begin to unpack this, as we're walking through in this series, what does it look like to live in such a way where people would look in on your life or my life and say, man, the way you live your life, you remind me of someone. Who is it? The way you live, you remind me of Jesus. In that moment of these guys arguing about who would be the greatest, no one would ever say they reminded them of Jesus. They're fighting like the, like the world would fight. They're, they're grasping for positions. They're, they're looking for recognition. They want their reward here and now. They're, they're fighting for an identity just like the world. And, and man, you can see why, why this kind of argument in, a, in, a, in a, this setting with the 12 of them and Jesus, why this is such a dumb argument. Not only are they not living like Jesus would call them to live, but, but can you imagine Jesus listening to these guys arguing about that? Right? Peter's saying, I'm the greatest now you walked on water, right? And Bartholomew saying, you sank though, Peter. And Peter going, Bartholomew, really? Seriously? No one's even gonna remember that you were a disciple. No one's gonna remember your name. Think about it. How many of you went, Bartholomew was a disciple, right? 
Man, if I was Jesus in that moment, these guys arguing about who's the greatest, well, wouldn't you do, if, if you were Jesus, wouldn't you do this? Okay, I'll tell you what, guys. Hey, hey, how about this? Raise your hand if you created the universe. Oh, no, no, none of you? Oh, because my hand's up, right? Raise your hand if you have raised somebody from the dead. No, nobody. You're arguing about who's the greatest. And you start to wonder as you read through the Gospels, how would such a a shallow, self-centered group of people with this history of weakness and failure over and over again, how are they going to be possibly be used by God to change the world? I mean, what's Jesus actually going to say in response to this ridiculous argument about who would be the greatest? Verse 24 says, a dispute rose among them as to which one of them be regarded as the greatest. Here's Jesus' response. And he said to them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them. You need to stop right there. I mean, Jesus laid down a serious punch to their heart. He just said, you guys are like Gentiles. That, that's an insult to a Jewish person in this time to hear that. But not just that. You're not just like Gentiles. You're like the kings. You're like the ones who are in authority. What's he saying? I mean, you guys are arguing and talking and acting like the Romans do. He says, they exercise lordship over them. Those in authority over them are called Benefactors. He then redirects them. He says, listen, listen, this is how you're actually supposed to live. Let me flip upside down the way the world lives. Here's the way you're supposed to live if you want to live like my disciples. He goes, but not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest and the leader as one who serves. For who's the greater, one who reclines at table or one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at table, but I am among you as the one who serves? I mean, the, the world looks in and says, man, man, what is great? What's great is about getting all you can. It's, it's, about, it's about you. To be great is about getting as much power as I can, to getting my identity as good as it can, to getting and using my power to the best of what I can use it for, for me. And it says you, you become a benefactor. Well, what that means, that means that, that you're so powerful, you're so, you're so amazing, you're so strong, you, that you use your power to be a benefactor to those beneath you, the, those those plebes under you and I'm your benefactor and I'll do things for you but man you better beg to get it you better you better earn it to get it man you better deserve it if you want my power and riches and 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 Jesus says really who actually is greater Who's greater, the one sitting at the fancy restaurant eating or the waiter that comes by to serve them? And and right away, you know the answer to that. Well, wait a minute, if it's it's a fancy restaurant and someone's eating in that restaurant, they're probably the one who's greater than the person who's who's making minimum wage serving them their food. And Jesus says, really, really? Because guys, I'm the waiter, he says. I mean, Jesus says elsewhere in the Gospels, he he says, I didn't come to be served, I came to serve. I mean, think about that. I mean, you don't hear a lot of people with with positions of great power saying, hey, 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 I don't want to be served, I want to serve. 
It's so counterculture. It's, it's, it's God's kingdom kind of language. It's, it's definitely not a God you would invent. This, this God who is, I'm a servant. I'm a humble servant. Man, I'm like the waiter in the restaurant. I'm not the one eating in the restaurant. Jesus, I didn't come to earth to sit at the table. I came to be the waiter. So think about that. When you're out in the world, I mean, if you look at your family life, if you look at your work life, if, if you look at your church life, if you look at your life at your school, if you look at your, your life in your neighborhood, would people look in on you and say, man, man, you remind me of Jesus, how you serve. You, you, don't, you don't use your power. Listen, there's nothing sinful about being successful uh, about obtaining positions of power, but do people look in and say, you use your power for something I've never seen before? You just humbly serve. You, you don't need a pat on the back. You, you don't need a thanks. You, you, don't need, you, don't, you don't demand anything from me. You just serve. You just pour your life out. So my, my question this morning as we dig into this passage is, how do you serve? I mean, think outside of, of program. Think outside of, well, here are the, the areas you can serve in a church or in a ministry or, or somewhere. Just, just think about your heart moved by the gospel. What's it look like in your family to serve? I mean, if you're here as a, as a student, what's it look like in your family? How, how, do, you, how do you live out your life? How, how do you serve your brothers and sisters? How do you serve your parents? Husbands and wives. Think about the way your marriage works. Think about you as a husband or a wife. Are, are you the kind of husband that sits at the table and you get served or are you a husband who serves? Do you pour your life out to serve your wife? As a wife, are you the one who says, I demand, I should get, I want, or, or are you the one who serves? Parents, do you, do you serve your kids? I mean, think about that. Think, think about what it means to serve your kids as a parent. Now, I can think of it a couple of ways. One way I think about serving our kids, it is way easier to, to not have to actually disciple our kids and to train up our kids. It's easier to go into your kid's room, maybe you have young kids, and say, you know what, I'm just picking this up off the floor. It'll take me a, a minute to do it. Or, because otherwise, what I, gotta do, I gotta call them up from downstairs or outside. I gotta come, hey, could you do that? Then I gotta watch, make sure they do it right. Then, then I gotta discipline them when they don't do it right. And, and then eventually, man, I'm gonna pick it up anyway. And why don't I just pick it up now? Or do you serve your kids? Say, you know, I want to grow my kids' hearts and their lives. I want them to know Jesus. I want them to know what it's like to be discipled and grown up to be a man and a woman of God. And I think of serving my kids this way. Here's one that hits me. If, if, if man, I'm flaked out on the couch and one of my daughters comes up and says, Dad, want to play a game? Hmm. I want to lay on the couch. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> I don't know if I want to play a game. What's it look like to serve my daughter right there to say, hey, hey, let's, let's play a game. Let's do that. Unfortunately, two of my daughters are in here right now and they're like, we're using that one. Hey, dad, remember you told everybody you would serve us? You remind me of Jesus, dad. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> I 
how, how do you live in your neighborhood? What's, what's it look like in your neighborhood? Are you the one who is the, the serving or do you be served? What, what do you like in your school, in your workplace? What's it look like for you? What's it like in your small group? I'm not talking about serving as, well, I bring the snack. That's amazing. Keep doing that. But, but even, even on things about your heart and your life, do, are you opened up? Do you serve? Do you say, hey, how can I walk with somebody in my small group? Hey, how can I let my life be, be opened up so people can see into my life and see how Jesus is working in my life and so I can be the one to phone somebody, to call somebody, to email somebody, to, to, to not miss small group. Because I want to be there because I want to serve those in my group. What's it look like? What, what about church? When you come into church, are, are you coming in as the one at the table or are you coming in as a waiter? Do you come into church as a, as a consumer or as a contributor? I mean, I'm not even talking even if you're on a, a serving team on the morning you come to church. You're just coming to church. How do you come in to church? What's your attitude as you come in? Are you coming in with this attitude of, man, what do you got for me this morning? Are you coming in saying, man, the, the, the sound better be right this morning? I hope that they sing worship songs I like. Man, I hope the pastor preaches a sermon that, that, that relates to my life. How, how are you coming in? Are you coming in wondering, hey, hey, how can people serve me? How will I be fed at this church this morning? Are you, are you coming in with this, this attitude of, man, what's wrong this morning? Oh yeah, would they screw up again this Sunday? Right, I've said this before, you, you kind of come in with that, I smell a dirty diaper face, right? It smells like a dirty diaper in here. Yeah, there are some. Serve, right? You could change the diaper, right? How, how do you come in? Are you coming in as, a, as a, the one at the table or the one who's served, who's serving? Maybe you come in hurting. Like, I don't know, I, I'm so broken. I, I don't know if I can serve. Listen, listen, all of us are messed up. This is a church full of broken people. I've said this before, we're like a hospital, but, but there's only one doctor and it's Jesus. The rest of us, we're like people on crutches, pushing people in wheelchairs. We're broken spiritually, but, but we have a savior who heals, a savior who redeems. And so, so we join the mission together. How do you come to church? Do you come as one at the table or one who's serving. I mean, think, think about it even practically. I mean, not just, not just where your heart's at, but, but every weekend here at Harvest, I mean, the, we, dozens and dozens and dozens of volunteers needed to make this thing happen. You, you were greeted as you came in. You were handed information as you came in. I mean, here in Muskoka, you came into a building that's not a church building. It had to be set up to look like this. Why? Because people served. You were, you were led in worship by, by a full band and a sound team. These guys aren't paid people. They're, they're serving. D during the week, people are meeting in homes. P people are, are meeting in small groups. People are meeting needs around our community. All of it served by people under the weight of the gospel who say, I want to live my life out, not as the one who sits at the table, but the one who serves the table. I want to serve those in this community of faith. So if you have a kid at Harvest Kids, it's because somebody served. If, if you have a student or you are a student and you were at youth this past week, it's because somebody served. If you're in a small group, it's because somebody's serving. So at Harvest, do you have a consumer mentality or are you a contributor to what God's doing? Are you linking arms saying, I want to be a part of this. I want to serve here. 
If you are serving here, let, let me say this from the bottom of my heart. For, hear this from Jesus. Thank you. Thank you for serving. I know you don't do it for thanks. There's, there's nobody here taking selfies on a Sunday morning going, blessed to serve, <laughs> right? I know that's not why you do it. You're not doing it for thanks. If we do it for thanks, listen, it leads to bitterness because you won't get enough thanks if it's for thanks. That reward will never be enough, right? It leads to bitterness or you're going to forget it. Psh, nobody appreciates it. I'm not doing it. Who are we doing it for? Jesus called us to serve. Let me unpack this a little more, what Jesus is, is saying here. Flip over to John 13. John gives a, a little more color to what's going on here in the, the Last Supper. Right after this moment where, where these guys are arguing about, hey, who's the greatest? And Jesus says, hey, listen, the greatest is the one who serves. That's who the greatest is. The greatest is the one who humbles himself low to serve. He doesn't just talk about it. Jesus isn't just preaching a sermon. He goes, let, let me show you what this looks like. He goes, listen, I, I'm gonna triumph over this little battle of your hearts, the, the, the triumph of, I'm gonna triumph over your pride and, and how you wanna be the greatest. I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna beat out that sin. I'm gonna, I'm gonna do it in a way that's gonna cause you to live out a life by a whole different principle, but I wanna show you. I wanna give you an example that's so unmistakable. You see what I'm talking about. I want to show you a way of life that's, that's marked by humble service, by loving each other, where we get low, very, very low to serve each other. And he shows them this real practical way of what it means to be great. This is what greatness looks like. This life lived low, a life lived low for God's glory and the sake of others. And so John 13, starting verse 1, it says, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart of this world to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end, it says. What does that mean? It means he loved them perfectly. He loved them completely. He poured out his life for them. He's about to literally pour out his physical life for them. Verse two goes on. During supper, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. Now, now it's interesting, verse two thrown in there. We're gonna come back to this. So you see what's going on here. Judas, Judas at this meal, already thinking about how he's gonna betray Jesus. Listen, that night, Jesus was going to be arrested. The next day, he would be beaten, betrayed, tortured, hung on a cross to die. And Jesus looks out on this room of his followers, his closest friends. And what does he see? He sees them arguing about who's the greatest. He sees proud hearts and he sees dirty feet. Look at what happens, verse 4. Jesus rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments, taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. What's Jesus doing here? I mean, you need to understand something about first century, about what's going on here. First of all, we, had to, we know this, right? People didn't walk around on nicely paved roads. All right? there, there weren't sidewalks. They were walking around on dusty, dirty roads, animals everywhere. So they're also walking in some other stuff other than dust and dirt, right? They're not wearing shoes like we would have. They're wearing sandals. So with that in mind, you gotta think about this. Feet, feet on their own are pretty nasty, right? We typically cover our feet up. They're not like the, hey, this is my most nice, hey, make sure you get my good side when you take that picture, right? We don't do that, right? 
but now you step into somebody's home, your, your feet, those nasty feet covered in dirt, camel poo between your toes, right? And you're walking into this home and it was custom as you came in that somebody would be there to wash your feet as you come in. Now, 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 who would do that? It would be typically a Gentile servant, a slave would do that. In fact, some historical documents say that in some provinces of Israel, it was actually against the law to make a Jewish servant do this job. It was the lowest job you can imagine. So Jesus here, in, in his final meal with these guys, in a matter of hours, he's gonna be betrayed by Judas. He's gonna be arrested by Roman soldiers. He's gonna go through a night of three illegal trials. He'll be abandoned by all of these guys. Eventually, he'll be whipped and beaten to a bloody pulp. He'll be hung on a cross. The sins of the world placed on his shoulders, his hands and feet pierced with spikes, the wrath of God towards sin poured out on him, our sin. He knows this is coming. He sees this pride in these guys and, and it's, it's pride, it's that sin he was dying for. He sees proud hearts and dirty feet. So what's he do? It says he rose from supper. He gets up, he gets up. Now, now, what he does here, how, 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 how amazing this is, when you read this in the original Greek, John changes here as he's telling this story, and he, and he changes into a present tense. So it's not like this is what Jesus did. He's like, he's like, like Jesus stands up, putting on the towel, taking off. He, he's walking towards me to wash my feet. He, he's just so blown away by this. Jesus stoops low and he washes each one of their feet. I mean, not only did Jesus, God the Son, come down from heaven to the world he created to become a man, he comes as a servant. He comes to be crushed, to be tortured, to be humiliated, to die. I mean, that's what he's saying. A servant is the one willing to take the hit. That's what a servant is. A servant's the one to say, I'm gonna take the hit. I heard one preacher describe this idea of taking the hit like this. You, you kind of think of it in, in football terms. So, so imagine the football game. It's coming to the end of the game. Quarterback has the ball. He's going back. His receiver is about to be wide open in the end zone for the, for the game-winning touchdown. But he also sees a linebacker screaming down about to tackle him. If he holds the ball long enough to throw it to his receiver, he's going to take the hit. He's going to get injured. He may even have a, a, a career-ending injury. And in that moment, he has a choice. What does he do? He has to start to wonder, man, man, why am I in this position? What, what happened to get him in that position? Was it because there was a, a linesman who, was, who, wasn't, who wasn't courageous enough? Maybe he let up a little bit and, and let the, the linebacker through? Maybe it was, it was bad coaching. Maybe it was more complex than that. Maybe, maybe it was a bad coaching call that put him in that position. Maybe the starting linesman who should have been there, the offensive guy who should have been there, he's in a contract dispute. So now they got the second string guy in there. Maybe that's why it's happening. Maybe it's the GM's fault. Maybe the general manager didn't, didn't draft the right players. He drafted the wrong guy for that position. And the reasons might be complex. But in that moment, the, the, the quarterback has this question where he has to ask this, who's going to take the hit? Who's going to absorb the cost of all those mistakes? If the quarterback avoids the hit, he goes down and he says, I'm not going to take the hit. The whole team takes the hit. They lose the game. 
then who absorbs the cost? Maybe it's the linesman who absorbs the cost. Maybe it's the coach. Maybe it's the GM who, who absorbs the cost. If he throws and wins the game, he takes the hit. Now, we, we can look around our world today and we can see so much brokenness. We, we can look into our own families and see so much hurt. We, we can see that something's wrong. There's something broken. Sin has affected our world, our families, our life. And listen, listen, in your life, the reasons might be complex. Why is there brokenness in your marriage? Why is there brokenness in your family, in your neighborhood? There might be so many different reasons for it. What is the reason why we're in this position? But the question still is this. Who's going to take the hit? Who will absorb the cost? This is where a servant steps in. The servant-hearted, humble person is the one who gets up and says, listen, I don't know whose fault it is. I know it's not my fault, but I'll tell you what, I'll bear the cost. I'll take the hit. I'll be the one. Let, let, let me be the one to take that hit. Jesus Christ gets up and he decides, look, look, someone has to clean off your dirty feet and nobody wants to do it. Nobody here wants to get down and do this job. And what he's actually saying, though, in that moment is, guys, this is a picture of the fact that I've come to take myself, to take on myself the cross and the sins of the world. Jesus is saying this, listen, listen, no one's making me do this. He says in another part of Scripture that, that no one can take my life. I lay it down of my own accord. Jesus, Jesus chooses to step up and take the hit. He says, I'll absorb the cost. I'll absorb the cost of your sin. I'll take that hit. As everybody else stands back and, and says, listen, it's not my fault. It's, it's not my fault my, my marriage is hurting. It's not my fault. It's not my fault my parents are struggling. It's, it's not my fault that this world is messed up. It's not my fault my kids are the way they are. It's not my fault that this church has problems. It's, it's not my fault that my neighborhood isn't doing well. And, and Jesus steps into the mess of this world, into our world, our community, our life. And he says, I'll bear the cost. I got this. I've got this. But listen, th this isn't just a football game. This is Jesus taking on the, the infinite misery and cruelty of all sins from all people throughout all centuries. He suffered separation. He suffered spiritual despair. He suffered physical torture. God the Father pouring out divine justice on him. Everything that sin deserved, your sin, my sin, poured into Jesus' heart. He was the servant king. He got down on his knees. He left his place. He knelt low. I mean, that's what the mission was all about. And that's what Jesus has called his followers to. Th that was the way to our freedom, that, that someone else took the hit for us. Jesus, you took the hit for us. That's our freedom. And somebody had to bear the cost of the sins of the world, sins that we've done, sins that have been done to us. If someone doesn't bear the cost, if, if someone doesn't take the hit, someone's got to pay for it. If we don't rest in Jesus' sacrifice, listen, we'll spend our whole life trying to figure out who's going to pay for this. 
If you have to pay for it, it's never ending. If you have to make others pay for it, you're gonna put a weight on them and making people deserve, you gotta take this, man, you deserve this, you take the hit. But Jesus Christ comes and he says, no, no, it doesn't have to be that way. I'll bear the cost so that your sin no longer defines you. That your sin no longer separates you from a relationship with God or a relationship with others. That, that sin no longer puts you out on your own in isolation. Sin no longer condemns you and makes you dirty, but you're washed clean by Christ. This is the gospel. That God completely accepts you, receives you. All the guilt, all the things that you've done, all of it taken away from you, God regards you as, as perfectly beautiful and righteous and acceptable. Jesus stands up to take the hit. Look at verse six. As Jesus does this, it says, he came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Peter's shocked here. I gotta wonder, I gotta tell you, as I kind of picture this going on, I kind of picture maybe Peter wasn't the first guy. Maybe Jesus has been working his way around the room and maybe Peter's thinking, oh, I know what I'll do when he comes to me. This'll look good. I'll tell him he can't do it. I'll be really humble here. And then he goes, what? You're washing my feet? Shocked, right? And then looks around the other disciples. Yeah, see, you guys should have done that, right? Right, and he's kind of like, no, you, you can't do this. What, what are you doing? And look at what Jesus responds. Jesus answered him, verse seven says, what I am doing, you don't understand now, but afterward, you will understand. Verse eight says, Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. I love Peter. Right? He always speaks in such absolutes, right? Never Later on in this, this account of the Last Supper, remember, it's, it's Peter who says, I'll never deny you. Ends up denying him that night. I'll never let you wash my feet. Two seconds, he's gonna let him wash his feet. Watch, all right? Jesus, you, you need this, Peter. Verse 10, Jesus said to him, the, the one who's bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but it's, is completely clean and you are clean, but not every one of you for he knew who was to betray him. And that's why he said, not all of you are clean. Talking about Judas there, Ju Judas, you're not clean, but the rest of you are redeemed. You're, you're clean. He's saying, Peter, Peter, you're clean. You've been redeemed. You've been changed. Jesus' death for us is our cleansing. Listen, if you're a Christ follower, you are redeemed. You are transformed. You are cleaned. So listen, if we're talking about serving here, it has to start here. It, it has to start by being served by Jesus. Peter's like, no, you can't serve me, Jesus. Peter goes, no, Jesus, no, Peter, it has to begin here. It has to start with me serving you. That, that Jesus humbly left heaven, entering into creation that, that he made to, to identify with us. He, he humbly served by, by living the perfect life. He, he humbly served us by dying on the cross. He humbly served us by raising again from the grave to conquer sin and Satan and death and ourself and hell and the wrath of God. He, he humbly serves us by giving us salvation and grace and love and mercy and eternal life. And, and, but here, here, listen to this. He's not just a servant. He's also the King of kings and the Lord of lords. But listen, he delights in serving. So if you come to Jesus, he will serve you. 
So, so if you're here this morning and you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, like, hey, how do I serve here? What do I do? How do I do this? Where do I begin? Listen, you begin here. Jesus serves you first. That's where Christianity begins, where Jesus steps in. You say, wash me, cleanse me, forgive me, save me. That's the starting point, where you come to that point in your life where you realize, I am a sinner in need of a Savior. What offended Peter is what offends a lot of people. It's, no, 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 Jesus, I'm not that dirty. I'm not so dirty that the king of the universe would need to die for me. I mean, the, the whole idea of the cross is so offensive to people. Like, it sounds so primitive. It is. Even a child can understand it. It's so offensive. Yeah, it is offensive. It's so offensive that you and I had so much sin that the king of the universe, Jesus Christ, would need to bear our sin in his death. That's where you start. You start saying, Jesus, save me. Cleanse me. I need you. If you're here as a Christ follower, you're like, no, I've already done that. I've already been cleansed. You're, you're like Peter then. Listen, you've had the bath. You, you've been changed from dark to light. You are now in the family of God. But listen, you start in the same place where you come to Jesus and say, Jesus, I need you. I need your help. I need your wisdom. I need your forgiveness. I need your empowerment. I need your people. And Jesus says, I know. I love you and I love to serve you. Your body's clean, Christ follower, but, but what Jesus is talking about here is, is, listen, I need to continue to wash your feet. I need to continue to, to sanctify you, to, to make you holy, to make you more like me, Jesus says. And he, he needs to bring his power into your life and to, to grow you into this beautiful thing until someday at the end of time when you are going to be as radiant and as noble and as beautiful as Jesus Christ himself. But it begins here. Where do I start serving? You start serving by humbling yourself to the place where you realize, I need Jesus to serve me. And listen, Jesus is never too busy. There's nothing that, that he can't handle. Jesus stands up, it says, rose from supper, and then he knelt down. He knelt down at your feet. I mean, this is shocking if you think about it. Think, thinking about Jesus kneeling down right now at your feet. Jesus, King of the universe. Jesus, kneeling at your feet. God the Son, right now, kneeling at your feet. Something we don't deserve. When we see this, when we see this picture of Jesus Christ kneeling at our feet, washing our feet, listen, when that becomes the center, the hub of, hey, how do I live my life? When, when you see that picture, when that becomes the center of your life, listen, it radically changes you. The disciples are shocked. They should be shocked. We should be shocked at this image of Jesus Christ washing our feet. I mean, it's offensive to think of this. It, here's the, the only way I could kind of make it similar for our culture today. It would be like Princess Kate and, and the queen showing up at your house with all their, their entourage and, and all the security. And they, they come to your door and like, wow, queen and Princess Kate. And they say, pip, pip, chewio. We're here to clean your toilets. I don't think they sound like that, but that's how they would sound in my mind, right? We're here to clean the toilets, right? And what would you say? You'd be like, are you kidding me? Oh, we haven't washed our bathroom in a while. It's been a long time. We haven't got to that choice. I'm not letting you into my bathroom to wash my toilet. You're the queen. You're the princess. Listen, even that picture falls so short. 
This is Jesus, the Lamb of God, the Prince of Peace, the living water, the bread of life, the creator of the universe. He's our redeemer. He's our righteousness. He's the light of the world. He's the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end from eternity to eternity, the first and the last, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. And he stoops down and does something that's reserved for the lowest of the low in society. Why? Because Jesus said, hey, I see a need. Those feet are dirty. I got this. I'll take the hit. I got this. So what do we do? I mean, Jesus saw the need. I mean, do you look around? Do you see the needs around you? Do you see the needs in your family? Do you see the needs in your marriage? Do you see the needs in your kids? Do you see the needs in your, your friends, in your church, in your community? Do you see the need? When you see the need, look what Jesus did. He said he rose from supper. You stand up. I mean, it's one thing to see the problems. It's another thing to step up and enter into them and move toward and say, I got this. To do that, listen, listen, we need to set aside. Set aside our pride, our schedules, our control, our identity. It says here that Jesus laid aside his outer garments. Like a Philippians 2, it says that Jesus emptied himself That's serving. We, we, we empty ourselves. We, we lay aside these outer garments, these things we put on ourselves to say, this is who I am. This is how I look good. This is how I feel good. We take that stuff off. We empty ourselves of our pride. We empty ourselves of our wants. We empty ourselves of even our rights. Jesus, the son of God, he saw the need. He got up, he took off his outer garments and he took on the clothing of a servant. He, he wraps a towel around his waist. He puts on an apron It's, it's laying aside your idea of this is my greatness and taking on what Jesus says is greatness, becoming a servant. Jesus kneels down and washes feet. He, he, he did the job that nobody else wanted to do, a job that should have been done. If they're having fights about who's the greatest, can you imagine what it was when they were coming in? I can imagine this coming into the supper, sitting down and looking at each other's feet because they would have they lounged around a table. They didn't sit at tables like we do, right? And, and oh, there's John's feet right there, right? And they're kind of looking at feet and they're going, oh, gross, there's feet. And, and they would look over, they would see the basin. They would, see, they, they would know that, that somebody would normally wash feet. Maybe they think, well, it's not my job. It's not what I'm supposed to do. Someone else is probably supposed to do that. I'm not lowering myself. Man, there's no way I'm doing that. Do you, do you know how gross that is? That, that's beneath me, man. I don't, I don't, man, John's feet are nasty. Man, man, Peter, he has this foot fungus. I'm not going near that, right? And you're like, I'm not doing it. I won't lower myself that because I am the greatest. And maybe we don't say that, but how often do we live that? When you get outside of yourself and you have eyes to see and, and when you begin to see the needs, when you begin to see Jesus at your feet serving you, suddenly, suddenly you stand up and say, you know what? I can do that. I've got this. Maybe it'll be on a Sunday. Maybe you'll, you'll come into a, a service on first service and you'll walk in and you'll see that Harvest Kids is like overflowing and you say, you know what? I can do this. I'm not supposed to serve this weekend. I'm not, I'm not in there right now, but, but, but you know what? I, I can do this. I, I'll take the hit. I'll do this. I'll, I'll worship second service. I'll serve this service. 
Maybe you walk in or, or, or it's after the service and you're standing around and you're looking around and you see somebody that, that looks like they're not, not really being greeted, not really being welcomed, not really being loved on. And you could stand back and go, Psh, these greeters this morning, they're horrible. Why don't they greet that person? Or, or, or you could stand up, take off your outer garment, put on your apron. You don't need the gray shirt that says harvest, right? You can just go up to somebody and say, hey, how are you? And begin to serve that person. Maybe it's in your family. And you, you see a need, and it's not really your area of responsibility. Maybe, you know, you're, you're, you're a student here this morning, you're a kid here this morning, you go, well, my parents normally take care of that. Maybe you take care of that. Yeah, but it's my brother's chore. Maybe you do the chore. In your marriage. Maybe you come home and you see a task is undone. Maybe this time, instead of getting after your spouse for not finishing the task, maybe you start to go, wait, wait a minute, I wonder why that task isn't done. I wonder what's going on. I wonder how I could care for my spouse, first by doing the task, but then also by caring for their heart. In your marriage, you could serve by forgiving. You could, you could serve by sacrificing. You could serve by loving. You could serve by praying for and with your spouse. You can serve by saying, Jesus, continue to work on my heart. Grow me to be the husband I'm supposed to be. Grow me to be the wife I'm supposed to be and serve your marriage. Maybe it's at work. Try this one out, man. When, you, when you're at work and you see a job that someone else was supposed to do, they didn't do it and you just do it. You say, man, I could do that. I got this. You're like, what? who are you? I'm Jesus. I'm just, I'm, just, I'm, just, I'm, I'm living like Jesus. What's it look like in your small group? What's it look like in your neighborhood where you would say, you know what, I can do this. It's not my fault it's not done. It's not my fault this happened. It's not my responsibility. It's probably beneath me. I can do it. I got this. I'll take the hit. Verse 12 goes on. It says, when he'd washed their feet, and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, and also, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that you also should do, just as I have done to you. Truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor a messenger greater than the one who sent him. So Jesus then, he finishes this, this job that he's doing and he says to these guys, hey guys, guys, I did this for you to see this because listen, I'm calling you to the same thing. Jesus then calls us servants. Th think about that. Serving is not something you do. A servant is who you are if you're a Christ follower. Let me say that again. Serving is not something you do. A servant is who you are. What's my purpose? Like, what am I supposed to be in life? What am I supposed to do in life? If you were out on the street wandering around, you, you tripped over this, this mysterious little black box with buttons on it, and you pick it up like, what is this for? I wonder what it does. What would you do? You'd start to look for what? For writing on it. Is, is, there, is there a manufacturer that I can Google and look up what this thing is and what it's used for? Listen, listen, right here, you have your creator, your manufacturer, Jesus, saying, this is why I've created you, to be a servant. This is why you're here. 
Listen, if you're a Christ follower and he hasn't taken you home yet, it's because he's got a job for you still to do. He says, I want you to serve. You're a servant. You have a mission. And, and your Lord and Savior was a kneeling servant. And listen, he kneeled when you and I were the Judases who were betraying him. He, he kneels as you and I were the Peters who were denying him. Jesus knelt. We're so broken, he knelt, he had to die. And so listen, so listen, what are we motivated by? We're not motivated by pride, like, oh, I can do this. I can be a servant. We're not motivated by a checklist. We're not motivated by, by religion. We don't do this to earn Jesus' love. No, Jesus has already demonstrated to us as he knelt at your feet, as he spread his hands out on the cross, I love you with, a, with an eternal love. We're not earning love at all. We're now responding to that love to serve others. Because you have a love that is, is unstoppable, you can say, you know what, I can pour out everything. The world owes me nothing. I have all I need. Man, I deserve hell and wrath from God, but in God's grace and Jesus' infinite sacrifice, man, I'm rich beyond imagination. I'm a billionaire. Who cares if you take a quarter from me? You kneel in love because you've been loved. You can pour out yourself because everything's been poured out for you. You are eternally rich. So, so then I'll ask this as the worst team comes up. How, how does this view of the gospel change your life today? How would it change your marriage? How would it change your family, your small group, your community? Where you be able to say, I am loved by a crazy, unbelievable, eternal love, so I'm gonna love you. Why? Because I want your best. I want your freedom. I wanna bring you to God, and I will do anything I can to get you there. Listen, it changes everything. You wanna change church, serve that way. You wanna change marriage, serve that way. Or husbands, you pour out your life for your wives because Christ calls us to as husbands. Wives, you love your husband because Christ calls you to. And you say, you know what? I have this eternal love and freedom from my Savior so I can pour out to you. In marriage, listen, your spouse is never going to fill your needs, never bear the weight of your soul. If, if you're hoping that they're the ones who repay you, they're the ones who fill all your needs, they're the ones who serve everything you need in you, listen, not only will you crash and burn, you're going to make them crash and burn. You'll never be in a position to serve your spouse. You'll always be complaining. They never love me enough. They never care for me enough. They never respect me enough. They never support me enough. But when you see Jesus kneeling at your feet, changing your heart, you take the hit. Because Jesus took the hit. You say, I'm free to serve. I got this. Even in this broken relationship, I got this. I can serve. You want to change your friendships, serve your friends. You want to change your community, serve your community. You want to change your relationship with God, serve people and watch as God begins to transform your heart. Yeah, but what about when my spouse doesn't live in the way that deserves this kind of love and service? What about when people in my church don't, don't live out this way? What, what happens to my friends or my parents? Or, or remember the passage started, Judas had already decided to betray Jesus for a small bit of power. And Jesus steps in and says, I'm washing your feet too. So this morning, where do you land? Where do you see yourself? Do you see yourself in the heart of selfish 
gain or a heart of humble service? What's it look like in your marriage, in your family, in your workplace, in the church, in your school? This isn't meant to be any sort of condemnation. This is an invitation into a life that's so transforming for those around you and for you as you begin to live out the call of Jesus. See Jesus washing your feet so that you can stand. You can put off the outer garment you put on yourself. You can take that off. You can put on the garment that Christ gave you, the garment of a servant, and you can serve as Christ served. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that for each one of us here that we would, with eyes to see, with ears to hear, we'd be able to look around and see the need. We can see where you've called us. And, and God, that we wouldn't be consumers any longer, but we would be contributors, that we would be on mission for you. Lord Jesus, that we would stand. Stand, why? Because, because Jesus, you paid everything for us. We can be completely abandoned to the mission because the kingdom of God has been given to us. As we see you, Lord Jesus, as the one who kneels at our feet, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, you've humbled yourself to the point of death, serving us on the cross, serving us by washing our feet daily. Lord Jesus, we want to respond in the same way to be servants like you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.